hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I am your host, as always, Sid Ziegler. And in this week's episode, the podcast, I talked to Nikki Hiltz, an Olympic hopeful in track and field for the United States. And when I created this podcast, it was to talk about the experience from the LGBTQ perspective in and around the Olympics. And most of the people that I'll talk to have competed in the Olympics or Paralympics or they've coached there. But I also want to highlight some of the stories of people trying to get there for the first time. Most Olympic fans never actually compete in the Olympics, but they've dreamed about getting there and they've tried to get there. And for Nikki, trying to get to her first Olympics next summer in Tokyo, she's she's one of those people trying to get there for the first time. Her story has a few unique elements. First, she ran at the University of Arkansas, and I talked to her about her fears of being LGBTQ athlete at the University of Arkansas, and her fears were uh, very real. What the reaction was when some of her teammates found out that she was dating one of her teammates at the University of Arkansas, and I thought that was a really great part of our conversation. Uh, another u- unique element is that she, you know, she is still dating that teammate, but that teammate is now one of her competitors. They run the same events, uh, the mile and the 1500 and, and, and other similar distances. And so they are competitive with one another and yet they're sleeping in the same bed every night. So I thought that was a super interesting part of the conversation. And finally, I talked to her about competing in Doha Qatar at the IAAF World Track and Field Championships earlier this year. In Qatar, as I'm sure you know, it is illegal to be gay. And that law definitely weighed on her mind a little bit. So we talked about that and, of course, uh, her hopes and dreams of making her first Olympic Games. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Olympic track and field hopeful Nikki Hiltz. I'm thrilled now to welcome runner Nikki Hiltz, who was just recently back from the IAF World Track and Field Championships. Nikki, does, does that mean your off-season has officially begun? Are you just devouring fast food and pizza now? <laughs> Uh, pretty much. No, it actually means I'm just finishing my off season. Um, I took about two weeks off completely. And then the past two weeks, I've been slowly, you know, running when I feel like it. And then about two days ago, I landed in Mammoth Lakes, California for an altitude camp. So I'm pretty much winding down my off season. But um, it was it was a great time while it lasted. <laughs> so your off season is two weeks? Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wow, that, that, that's a lot. Well, I, I, we're going to get into what's ahead for you, but I want to talk about uh, just a little bit of the experience that you've been through. Um, you, you were in Qatar for the track and field uh, championships. Uh, c- tell me about prepping for Qatar. How long did you know uh, ahead of going there? Like, when did you qualify? And, uh, I mean, what is what is a day like when you're preparing for an event like that? Yeah, so the qual our USA's um, was in August, I think. I don't even remember. Um, no, late July, and it was in Des Moines, Iowa. And basically, if you're top three at that meet, you get to be on the world championship team. 
as long as you have the standards. So um, I've just kind of, that's been the goal all season is to be top three at that meet and then, you know, qualify for that world championships. And yeah, so preparing was, you know, all year you kind of lead up to it. Like in the fall, we went to Mammoth and did this big altitude stint, just like base training. And then you do a little indoor season and then um, outdoors, we just kind of continued to peak and we peaked right at the U.S. championships. And, you know, I was third there and I got, I got to go represent our country on the world stage. At what point did you become aware, uh, or maybe it was been, been on your radar for a while, that it was being held in a country, Qatar, where homosexuality is illegal? When did you become aware of it? And, 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 and does that kind of thing weigh on your mind as a competitor as you're preparing for an event like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I actually found out pretty late. Um, I think, you know, I'm sometimes we can be in our own little bubble of the U.S. And, you know, um, I live in San Diego and next to Hillcrest, which is a very um, LGBTQ friendly neighborhood. And um, so, yeah, I think I found out I was in L.A. and I was doing a panel and someone asked me, oh, Nikki, if you make the world team, uh, you know, you like, you know, that homosexuality is illegal there. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, so I think it, that was probably in June. I mean, it was a panel for a Pride Month discussion. And I think it was then that I was like, okay, well, you know, I have that in the back of my mind now. And, um, you know, I think I, I was just focusing on making that team more than anything. Uh, I think after I made the team, definitely I, I thought about it more and was like, okay, what am I going to do with this? What does that mean? Um, and so going into the championships, I think I just decided I was going to, you know, in order for me to run my best, I have to be myself. And that's like, kind of what I've discovered. And so I wasn't, I didn't have any plans to go like back into the closet, you know, once I was in Cutter. Um, and I was just going to, you know, be myself. I knew my girlfriend was going to come over with me and, you know, we were, I was going to hug her and hold her hand and things like that. Um, I wasn't really going to change who I was just because of their, those, that country's laws. Um, and then I guess I was just going to see if, I crossed the line and, you know, luckily it didn't come to that. I didn't get thrown in jail or anything like that. Um, and I also, I think going over, I really didn't want to have preconceived ideas of a country. You know, I just wanted to enjoy my experience. Like this has been uh, a team, like I've been trying to make my whole life and I finally did it. And, you know, this is my first world championship. So like, I really wanted to um, enjoy like every second of it. Well, you tweeted about that, and, and, and I think it's very easy for people who aren't athletes to put, particularly LGBTQ people, to put all their eggs in the social justice and equality basket. But yeah. it's been your lifelong dream, as you said, and, and you tweeted, I'm going to quote from your tweet, I'm not going to kiss my girlfriend at the World Championships because of their rules. I don't want to be dreading this experience. I want to embrace every second of it because being on this team has been a dream of mine for as long as I can remember. And, and, and you know, I, I, I just appreciated that because it gave such a good perspective of why some athletes aren't going to hold a rainbow flag when they go to a place like Cutter. They're just going to try to do their job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> While you were there, was there a did you feel a presence of homophobia? Did people talk about it? Um, I think for, I knew. So for me, um, 
I knew in the mix zone I was going to be asked about it. You know, as soon as I, I, I finished the first round, I, you know, and it's kind of like, I think it's funny. Like I have to prepare for a race and then I also have to prepare to get hit, hit with those questions. Like, Oh, what homophobia have you faced here? You know? Um, and so I really didn't. Um, I think, you know, all the people that I met from the country uh, in the hotel or, you know, where we were staying, like everyone was, was very kind and, and nice. And I mean, I'm also not holding a banner that says I'm gay, you know, like so it's, it's definitely something that you, that could be, can be, you know, hidden. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I never, and, and I did after the race, I went up in the stands and I found my girlfriend and like, we hugged and she kissed me on the forehead and was like consoling me and whatnot. And, you know, that was my special authentic moment. And, um, you know, I think maybe one person kind of stared, but you know, at the end of the day, like nothing happened. I didn't get thrown in jail or, or arrested and, um, it was fine. <laughs> you, you said she was consoling you. You, you made it to the final. Whoa. <laughs> Right, what right. Was your goal no, and, was... and and I mean, tell me, tell me about kind of your goal, and does does your goal once you make it to a final change? Yeah. So I, my goal going into Worlds was was I wanted to make the final. So there's there's three rounds. There's round one, the semifinal, and then the final, and and only twelve make that final. So and I think it it goes from forty eight to twelve. So. Um, that was my goal. And I think I, I really wanted that because I wanted three Americans in the final. I just kind of really wanted to put like, be a part of putting the U S back on the map as far as, you know, woman distance runners. And, you know, I had a really good semifinal. I PR and I, I was the last person into the final and it was awesome. You know, I, I kind of achieved my goal. And then in the final, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm the last one in. I have the slowest PR. You know, I'm here. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to put my nose in it and, and see what happens. And, you know, I think I put my nose in it for the first half. And then it was just, it was just too fast for me. You know, um, I, I haven't done three rounds like that before ever. And so that, I think, was part of it. I just didn't really have, like, my legs underneath me. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up getting last in the final. Which, yeah, I definitely – you know, I made the final, which was my goal, but getting lost is never fun, especially as like as competitive as a person I am. So I think that's when I saw my girlfriend. Like as soon as I got last in the final, I went up to the stands and, you know, she just hugged me and was like, I can't, I can't wait to see how much better you'll be in 10 months from now, which 10 months from then was the Olympics. So yeah, it was just like our special moment. And yeah, no, definitely. I'm, I'm not sad about my experience at all. It was just kind of kind of right after some I had gotten last <laughs> well yeah you, like, like I said you achieved your goal and then once you achieved your goal you you still wanted more and, and exactly and, yeah and, and now <laughs> you're left uh hungry for hungry for Tokyo totally yeah <laughs> all right well hang tight everybody we'll be right back with more from Nikki Hill And now we're back with Nikki Hill. So we talked about your, your girlfriend. Uh, tell us about your girlfriend. I know sh she is also a, a competitive elite runner. Yeah. Um, her name is Teresa Heist. She is also a 1,500-meter runner, and we train and live together and run in the same group. Um, she is hilarious and an extremely hard worker, 
and very kind. And, um, you know, we, we train together every day. Um, she, she sees it all. Uh, we share the highs and the lows together and, um, you know, I'm, I'm her biggest fan and, and she's mine. So, um, yeah, I feel like that's like a very brief summary of Teresa highs. <laughs> I mean, what, what is it like, you know, we talk to athletes who date one another, but it's, 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 it's rare that you meet elite athletes dating each other who are in, not only in the same sport, but in the same event, you, you're yeah. competing <laughs> against one another. How, what kind of dynamic does that bring to the relationship? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I, I feel like we're kind of the pioneers. There's no other, there's a bunch of running couples out there. Um, or like, like you said, other sports that, that date, but yeah, I feel like there's not a lot that compete head to head and are the same sex. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely new territory and we, but and it's it's definitely hard. Like, it's not an easy thing. But at the end of the day, it's like we are each other's biggest fans. And, you know, I think it, it is really special just because racing is such a little percentage of our lives as runners. So, um, you know, majority of our life is spent training. And, and when you can have a training partner that's, that's also your significant other, I think it's just so special. And, like, we can you know, really bounce off each other in, in workouts and runs without even like having to talk, you know, it's almost like we can like telepathically communicate just because we know each other so well. And, um, you know, uh, I think it, it is a really special thing. And, and yeah, there, it definitely is hard when you are racing each other. And um, I think the hardest part for me is I'm kind of in the back of my mind, like, where is Teresa in the race right now? Whereas usually I'm just like focused on myself and you know, can shut off everyone else, but she's like the one person I can't shut out of my mind just because she means so much to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't trade any of like the hard parts for all the good that, that we do have. It's it's definitely a really special thing that I think is very unique too. <laughs> when you're in a race against one another, and, and again, you were, you were teammates at uh, Oregon, your teammates at Arkansas, so mm-hmm. you've been on the same track many, many, many times. Yes. Is is there is there a little added motivation to beat her, or is there is there, <laughs> is there just not a competitive thing between the two of you? Um, it's no. There's we definitely are competitive with each other for sure, and um, you know, I think it's more of I just remember this one race NCAA's um like nationals. She uh, is kind of taking the lead and I'm in like sitting in like third or fourth and I'm, I'm feeling really bad. Like I don't feel good that day. My legs hurt. I'm just not really in it. And I just see that she's doing it. And I'm like, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. Like, it's just more of a motivating thing, I think, than like a competitive, um, aspect, but there definitely has also been times when it's a hundred meters to go and it's me versus her. And those moments just crack me up because like, you, I can both I can both tell that we both want to win. It's like I want to win and I want her to get second. And if and she would say the exact same thing. So, I don't know. It it is really really fun to to compete like that. And and we do that in practice so much too. You know, we'll run a fast two hundred and and we're both kind of trying to like outkick the other, but all in like good fun and just trying to make each other better as as we go. <laughs> It is amazing. Sports competition uh, <laughs> kind of trumps uh, <laughs> eternal love, even 
like everybody <laughs> wants to beat the people that they're racing against, no mm-hmm. matter who it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how long have you two been dating? I know it hasn't been the entire time. No. So we met in 2013 at um, a high school meet, uh, an indoor meet, and we had both, we were seniors at the time, had both committed to Oregon already. So we met and we were both excited, like, oh, we're going to be teammates next year. And um, so we were roommates at Oregon for 2013 to 2014. And then she transferred to Arkansas and I spent a year at Oregon. She spent a year at Arkansas. And then the next year I decided to transfer and I had saw how much she grew from going from Oregon to Arkansas that I was like, at, she grew as like a runner. And I was like, oh, I want that. So I, I transferred to Arkansas. And then, so that was January of 2016. And that's when we started. Uh, we just kind of realized like, you know, I think we're more than just friends. Let's just kind of give this a go and see what happens. And you know, we've been together ever since. So it was January of 2016. So I guess it's coming up on four years. Did your teammates at Arkansas know that you were dating? Um, yeah, not at first. We kind of very slowly, I think, came out. Um, you know, our, the other two, our other two roommates that we were living with, obviously they knew. We told them. And then, and they were fine and supportive of it. You know, it wasn't, there was no homophobia there um but I think we were I was just both we were both kind of hesitant just because we were in the south and I didn't know anybody's like I I just wasn't sure of where everyone was at with that you know I think um now that we live in San Diego it's it's easier to be like yeah probably 95 percent of the people that we pass are okay with us holding hands you know and but in Arkansas you know I was like I think it's like 50-50. I don't know, you know, and it's so uh, it was definitely a slow coming out, but by the end, by our last year, yeah, I I think majority of our teammates knew, and and majority of people followed us on Instagram. We would post about it, so yeah, it, it wasn't really a secret for long. Well, so you had trepidation because of it was Arkansas. How did they take it? Yeah, that's a good um, a good question. I think uh, I definitely was surprised with the amount of people who were supportive. You know, I was thinking worst case scenario, uh, you know, everyone's going to disown me. I'm I'm not going to be allowed to like room with people at meets and things like that. But no, it was totally all my teammates um, were really supportive. There was a few instances where I felt uncomfortable. Uh, we, I remember one time just, we were walking to dinner and I don't even know if we were holding hands, but this, you know, pickup truck with an American flag at the back, like pulls up and says F lesbians and then just like speeds off. And I was like, cool. <laughs> you know, that was, that was a moment where I was like, yeah, like yikes, <laughs> you know, uh, just a sweet frat star, you know, Southern boy. And, uh, but you know, like little things like that happened where I just was like, okay, you know, you, you have to realize this is where you're living right now and this isn't permanent. And, you know, you can move back to California as soon as, as, soon as you're done here. Um, but no, the, the coaches and teammates were, were definitely like had our back. Um, if, if someone, if they were to ever be there, if something like that happened. So that was really nice. You know, 
I've had similar things happen to me in Los Angeles. So, you know, it's not really it, while yeah. it's more prevalent in Arkansas. It happens everywhere. And, and, and your yeah. story kind of reflects what I hear over and over and over again from people, from no matter what state they're in, that they're just kind of surprised by how few people have an issue with it in sports. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, does Teresa have the goal of getting to Tokyo as well? Is this on the radar for her? Yeah, I think for her, she so we're the same grade, but she's a year, whole year younger than me. Um, and so for now, her goal uh, is to make the trials. And I know she can definitely do that. And all of her teammates know that she can definitely do that. And so for now, that's her goal. And, um, you know, obviously, the Olympics and world teams is kind of, you ask any runner, that's like, that's the goal. So I think for now, just taking it step by step, okay, let's get to the trials this year. And then maybe next year is, is 2021, the world championships are held in Eugene, Oregon, which is a U.S. you know, like that would be a, a good team to try to make, you know, just taking it step by step. And, um, but yeah, no, for the trials for sure. What do the next eight, nine months look like for you as you try to achieve your lifelong dream and qualify for the Olympics? Yeah, I think just um, kind of stick to what I know. Uh, last year, I I think if you asked me at this time if if I was going to be, if I thought that I was going to make the Doha team, I would have said no. <laughs> um, but I just kept racing really well and, and the training was going well. I was healthy and happy. And those, you know, that's it. those are two good ingredients to, to running fast. And so, yeah, I think just trying to stay as happy and healthy as I can. And, um, you know, I'm really excited. We have a really good group this year to train with. Um, you know, I live in San Diego. I think it's the best city in the world. So, yeah, I think um, obviously working hard to putting in the work. And, and, and I think more than anything, like believing that I can do it. You know, I was top three last year and I made that Doha team. But I, it wasn't easy. But I, I did it. And I I never stopped believing that I could. And then once I was there, I believed that I could make the final and then I did. And so I think just really, but that's a, that's a skill. Like believing in yourself is something like running. You have to practice every day, you know, like sometimes you're going to have days when you doubt yourself or you, you doubt your fitness or your training or that you're capable. And I think just really practicing that belief in myself. Um, and yeah, I think, I think I can, hopefully make this this Tokyo team. <laughs> What's the qualification process for the 1500? So it's at the trials, um, same thing. There's three rounds. And then um, in the final, there's 12 girls on the line and top three make the team as long as you have the Olympic standard. And the Olympic standard is 404. And I think already like nine or 10 American women have it, which I think is super exciting. You know, it's, it's not going to be an easy team to make. And, and just, you know, you have, we like, I'm not by any means putting automatically putting myself top three, you know, I know how hard it was to make that Doha team. And I know this next 2020 team is going to be even harder. So um, just respecting, you know, you got to respect the field and the greats that are in it. And um, I think it is a really exciting time for American 1500 runners. Um, I think, you know, like people just keep raising the bar and, 
and everyone thought that the Olympic standard was too fast, you know, oh four, oh four. Like, I didn't know how many people were going to be able to get that. And, you know, we already have nine and 2020 hasn't even started yet. So it's really exciting. And I'm, I'm happy to be in it and a part of it. And um, yeah. <laughs> well, what would it mean to you to achieve this, this ultimate lifelong dream and be able to compete on the Olympic track next summer in Tokyo? Uh, I just, I think it would be a dream come true. Like, just so, um, you know, the Olympics, especially in track and field, is so the penultimate, or like the ultimate goal and um, the highest level stage you could you can be on. And it, it is a really exciting year because it's it's every four years the world watches track and field, even though it is happening every year, people only care every four years. And so uh, it, it would be really, really special. And I think, yeah, it, it would mean the world to me. <laughs> Is, we're predicting that there are going to be over 100 publicly out LGBTQ Olympians in, in Tokyo. And, of course, there will be many more who we don't know of. W- would it mean something extra to be part of that historic group? Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, absolutely. I think, um, you know, in every race that I run, I kind of – in the back of my pocket know that I have this whole community behind me and cheering for me. And that's, you know, that is something that crosses my mind, you know, with 150 meters to go, you know, and I feel like it's kind of this extra edge I have on people. And it's, you know, that little thought that I have this community behind me is, you know, what I think helps me get to the finish line, just like a little bit faster than maybe everyone else. (laughs) Well, you're absolutely right. LGBTQ athletes and teams that embrace their LGBTQ fans, uh, we rally around those organizations. Last night, watching the uh, just last night was Game Seven of the World Series, and the World Nationals Series, beat yeah. the Astros. And the Nationals are they totally embrace their LGBTQ fans, and the Astros decidedly do not. And every mm-hmm. single LGBTQ person I knew was cheering for the Nationals because of that. So when when you take the track and they see that your name show up on NBC, they're definitely cheering for you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Is there anything those people can do who are listening to help you on the journey to get there? Um, I think just, you know, follow my journey. And, um, you know, if you ever want to talk, send me a message. Or, um, yeah, I think just... No, I I think I know how many people, but, you know, you can never have too many supporters. Um, yeah, I think just continuing to support me and, um, yeah, and, and, and I'll support you and, and it'll be this one big inspiration family. <laughs> well, you can track Nikki down Instagram at Nikki Hiltz. It's N-I-K-K-I-H-I-L-T-Z. And Twitter's the same, but there's an underscore between Nikki and Hiltz. So uh, definitely go over to Twitter and Instagram and give Nikki a follow. Okay, Nikki, I told you that I have two questions I ask everybody at the end of their uh, Five Rings to Rule Them All podcast interview. Number one, who's an Olympian who's inspired you to get here? Um, I think my whole life I've been a track and field fan and nerd. And uh, the women 1,500-meter runners have always been my superheroes. So, uh, I think my all-time favorite is Morgan Euseni. 
uh, I just remember watching her at the trials in 2012 and just she lit everyone up with this amazing kick and she was just so composed and and um, patient and I just was like I want to be her one day <laughs> definitely her and now it's crazy I feel like it's kind of come full circle she her coach is actually my coach now so um, yeah <laughs> I think she's she's definitely one of my biggest Olympian inspirations for sure. So you, so you've been able to meet her and, and run with her. Yeah. Yeah. I've met her before. Um, she lives in Boston. Um, but yeah, she, she's awesome. And, and she also wore this necklace that was just like kind of like a puka shell thing. And I just thought that was so cool, you know, just kind of, she was like, yeah, I'm just going to be me and, and I'm going to be a badass and beat all these girls. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> And here you are being you and beating all these girls. So <laughs> Exactly. Uh, other question, who's your favorite character or moment or or something from the Lord of the Rings where the podcast got its name? Yeah, the the character, who's my favorite character? That's such a hard one. But um, I think I'm going to have to go with Samwise Gamgee just because I think Frodo gets a lot of the uh, credit as being the hero and you know, the star, but let's be real. Like, I don't think he would have made it very far without Samwise at all. And um, I think my favorite part is this speech that Sam gives. I think it's at the kind of the closing of the two towers. He's just talking about how uh, all the great stories, there there is a lot of darkness and, um, and then, but the heroes, they, they never gave up, gave up. And, and Frodo was like, well, why didn't they give up? He, and then Sam's like, there's so much good in the world and, and that's worth fighting for. And I think that's just so powerful, especially maybe in our political climate today, that, that maybe it is seem dark right now and we're kind of surrounded by darkness and, and hate, but there is so much love and good in the world and that's, that's worth fighting for. So yeah, Sam, Sam is my hero for sure. And <laughs> that's, that's those, my favorite part. <laughs> those little moments and speeches in those movies. Oh, they get yeah. to me every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I cry every time I hear that speech. <laughs> oh. Uh, all right. Well, Nikki, well, well, thank you so much for joining us. And don't be a stranger. Uh, keep everybody abreast of, of what's going on in, in your trek to Tokyo. All right. I will. Thanks so much for having me. So I hope you'll be cheering on Nikki as she aims for her first Olympic Games. The uh, U.S. track and field championships, the Olympic qualifiers will be uh, early summer, late spring, early summer in 2020. Uh, next week, I have a special guest, Robbie Rogers. Robbie was a professional soccer player who came out publicly while he was still playing. He's not best known for his Olympic experience, but he had a lot to say about his time at the Olympics, as well as how he and his husband, successful TV producer Greg Bolanti, balance work and family. So definitely come back next week for a really great conversation with one of my faves, Robbie Rogers. Robbie Rogers.